MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, August 7th, 2020. Today, the state of New York is suing to dissolve the National Rifle Association and bar its principals from operating a nonprofit. Deutsche Bank was subpoenaed and handed over documents to the Manhattan DA a year ago. The CIA is steering clear of Ron Johnson's probe into the Bidens. Trump posts were removed from Twitter and Facebook for disinformation about coronavirus. Nunes loses another lawsuit. And the story behind the photo of the crowded high school hallway in Georgia. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Amy Carrero. Woo! Hey, everybody, it's Friday, and that means Amy is here. Amy, how are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm real excited about that Nunez news. <laughs> the Nunez <laughs> Might have just, like, turned my whole week around. <laughs> It's going to be fucking great. I, I have to yes. tell you, every time he loses a lawsuit, like uh, a lawyer gets his wings or something happens. I don't know. It's just... It's, Someone passes it's, the bar. A cow yes. gets their bell that every time he loses. So it's it's super fun. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to go over that. But thank you also for joining our live stream last Friday. That was super fun. We have another one today, Friday. So much fun. Yeah, and today's is at 4 p.m. Pacific for patrons and 5 p.m. for the public. And we need a theme. Uh, so hit us up at dailybeanspod.com and click contact. Let us know what we should do for a theme today. And Amy, you're welcome to drop by anytime. So fun. Hey, hey. What if I drop, every time I drop by, I bring in a new cocktail recipe? Hey, we can do that. We could do Cocktail Corner with Amy Carrero. Yeah, I really backed myself into a corner here. But people really like to, people <laughs> seem to really like the French 75. Yeah, I think you just gave yourself another job. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> I do that all the time. I'm like, what if we did this? And everyone's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, wait. Oh, shit. More work. <laughs> Ugh, how about a screwdriver? <laughs> yeah, although I think uh, mixing cocktails, the Carrero Cocktail Corner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> would be extra special <laughs> totally um i'm i might hold you to that but we do have a big show today as promised andrew torres and i will take a deep dive into the trump lawsuit against nevada's vote by mail bill and what his chances are uh, jordan is off today so amy will be joining me later for the good news block as well and uh, we have a lot of headlines to squeeze in so let's hit the hot notes hot notes First up has to be, because this happened after we recorded yesterday, David Enrich, who we had on earlier in the week, you know, where he talked about how the how Deutsche Bank was doing a self-probe into uh, Rosemary Rablick. Well, he put out a story late last night that the Manhattan DA, Cy Vance, you know, the one who's been up and down to through SCOTUS and back down to the courts again, trying to get the Mazar's subpoena right. approved by the courts. Uh, well, apparently he subpoenaed Deutsche Bank a year ago and Trump never sued to block it. And Deutsche Bank handed over the stuff and oh, they've hey. had it for a year. Oh, shit. Yeah. And, oh. and, and of course, the, the arguments in court, you know, for the Mazar subpoena are like, we really can't continue with this investigation without the tax returns, without the documents from Mazar's. But apparently they've had this Deutsche Bank shit. For a year now. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if this gets fast tracked through court, the hearing's August 11th uh, on the Mazar stuff. 
Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's already got shit teed up, if he's got sealed indictments on on Trump or Trump principles at the Trump organization. So so, you know, because of the statute of limitations. Right. You know, he you, ha- you have to file the indictment before the statute of limitations is up. But you can file those under seal. And there's been quite a few filed under seal. But, uh, you know, they never say what they are, obviously, because they're under seal. But right. I wouldn't be surprised if if uh, as soon as those Mazar's uh, papers come in, because I think they already know what's in them. Mm-hmm. But once they have that evidence, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some indictments drop. And I'm not necessarily saying on the president, but pretty quickly after that. And that could be before the election. Ooh. But we'll see how it goes in court with with the Mazar's stuff. But that but that they've had the, this. That's blew cra- me away. This is what's crazy. Yeah. That they have. They've had it for <laughs> right? a year. Yeah. And, and, and Trump didn't sue to block it. And uh, David Enrich says that either. Well, he he says. Um, yeah, was it like some sort of like whoops? It slipped our minds, or like what could have, <laughs> what could it have been? Well, I have I have one of two theories: either Trump didn't know, right, uh, or it was a really narrow subpoena for just like some public some documents that had already become public because of the New York Times story, like property valuation yes. documents, and you know where he was inflating his assets and. Um, for real estate purposes, you know, bank fraud, and then right. deflating them or inflating them for insurance and tax purposes. Again, tax fraud and insurance fraud. Uh, but that sort of all came out in that New York Times story, the, the one that you know Mary Trump supplied all the paperwork for. Yes. And um, so maybe he was like, "Well, it's already public. Nobody cared then. They won't care now." Or he didn't fucking know. Gulp. Well, either way. I I'm I'm really hoping that that your that your theory is true that we'll see some of uh, some indictments come down before the election. That would be a super surprise. Mm. Yeah, we love that. Yeah. I would I would also be yeah yeah that would be a hell of an October surprise. Yeah, for uh, sure. To be honest with you, the best kind of surprise. Yeah. So and and of course. The the district attorney, Manhattan district attorney, is not beholden to the, the DOJ policy that says, you know, you can't release anything that could impact a presidential election within 90 days. And we're in that window now. They're not beholden to that, nor are they beholden to the Office of Legal Counsel memo that says you can't indict a sitting president. They aren't federal. They're state. So whoop, whoop. come through, come through. And, uh, you know, if if uh, Trump resigns, you can't pardon state crimes. So Pence right. can't pardon him for this shit. Um. Anyway, that's where we're at. And if if none of that happens, maybe look for those indictments, which I don't know exist. But if they do, look for them to be unsealed January 21st, 2021. (laughs) 121-21. I'm just like the hype man today. I'm like not contributing anything other than like, (laughs) woo, woo, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like indictments, (laughs) motherfucker. (laughs) Hey, AG, drop it. Whoa, I'm bad at this. Okay. (laughs) um next up and uh this happened this morning last night um tish james the new york attorney general put out this statement major national announcement to be made tomorrow 11 30 everyone freaked out right and i and i was kind of trying to temper everyone's expectations like i even posted this thing that says expectations trump will be indicted and this nightmare will be over reality she probably wants to have a multi-state lawsuit about the census or the nra right and it was the nra so she is suing the nra civil suit not criminal charges uh, apparently because the nonprofit oversight office is civil not criminal and in it she has 18 charges uh not charges but 
points of action. Mm. Uh, and she's asking to dissolve the NRA completely and blocking the four principals, including Wayne LaPierre and a guy named Wilson Phillips, which just cracked me. No relation. Someday somebody's going to try to <laughs> indict your ass for guns. Yes. Then, baby. <laughs> thoughts and prayers until then. Uh, yeah, thoughts and prayers. And uh, she wants to make sure that these four principals are banned from operating a charity in New York. And, of course, one of the um, questions when she started taking questions from the press was, hey, usually, you know, that you go you go by precedent. Do you have any mm. precedent you can cite? And, and they cited two cases. One of them, I can't remember what it was. And the guy, actually, who was citing it couldn't really remember what it was either. But the <laughs> other one was her lawsuit against the Trump Foundation. The well, one well, where she well. got that dissolved. Right. And... And the Trump crotch fruit are not allowed to operate charities in New York City or New York State. And so that's where we're at. And uh, she filed that lawsuit. I I immediately, just after that, went onto the NRA Twitter account, which I'm surprised they haven't blocked me yet because I like I like shower down so much abuse. But um, but, you know, they were like. Uh, having a meltdown obviously and the comments were kind of hilarious because maybe I I think maybe some of the NRA like members or whatever hadn't gotten to the Twitter thread at the moment so it was just a lot of people being like oh thoughts and prayers like it was just the the trolling (laughs) on a level that is so joy and sparking yeah it's a good schadenfreude and you know we have to remember too a lot of people are like disappointed uh, that it wasn't something bigger, right, or, you know. Right. But this is pretty big. Um, at, at, you know, first of all, fuck the NRA. But second of all, she, the, although this was a civil lawsuit, like the one she brought against the Trump Foundation, that does not mean she did not hand over the uh, the tax documents. And I mean, they stole millions and millions of dollars, right? And, and mismanaged, and fraud, waste, and abuse. And there's no reason, and it's actually probably more likely than not, I, I give it a 97% chance, she handed over those criminal, mm. um, you know, documents to the district attorney's office and uh, probably relayed the rest of it to the IRS uh, for tax fraud, uh, which would also be uh, criminal. Right. And so it, it just because she's not pressing criminal charges doesn't mean that there won't be. Yes. Uh, but we also have to remember they took $30 million in Russian money. Insane. Uh, in the 2016 election and, and funneled it and cleaned it and laundered it and gave it to Trump through two yep. super PACs. And, and so... So they were being real. They were being real cute about it. But that's the thing. Everybody expects mm. this, you know, huge thing to happen with one, you know, sweeping motion. But that's just rarely the case. Like this isn't, you know, mm. a movie. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it feels like a movie yeah. because the bad stuff happens <laughs> so quickly. But you know, it usually takes so long to clean up. I mean, you know, it's been almost four years. Well, over four years since since all of that. And now is when we're, you know, getting a little bit of action. So. Patience is a virtue. Yeah, and if we learned if the wheels of justice grind slowly, but if we learned anything from the Mueller investigation, it's we should learn patience. Yes, and that indeed there's not a one specific person who's going to rescue the country from destruction. So here we are, and now this is uh, not as good a uh, news story, but that that viral photo everyone's oh seen it now of the crowded high school hallway in Georgia. It's terrifying what is actually happening. If you read this article from BuzzFeed, because they dug a little deeper, apparently mm-hmm. um, the parents who are swamped with working from home and having their kids in the house all day 
were given a very tiny window to sign their students up for remote learning. And if they missed it and failed to send their kids to in-person classes, these kids faced expulsion, which can keep you from getting into college. Of course. They're high school kids. Yeah. And that's like, you remember what it'll be on your permanent record. Right. That that is a thing for educational purposes. For sure. And the students were also threatened that if they complained about it on social media, they would be punished. The, the person, the student who posted the, the photo that went viral was suspended, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, masks are not required at the school. One teacher actually had desks pushed together for group work. Oh, good night. Um, uh, the school nurse resigned because they told her she was responsible to find illness and quarantine the children <laughs> okay. until their parents were called. So she's the contact tracer and screener and tester. So she quit. She's like, right. fuck you. <laughs> yeah, the 25 grand a year isn't cutting it. Yeah. And and the school administrators knew, actually, that most of the football team before school started had tested positive for COVID and sent them all back to school anyway. And so they, it's they, were, they put these tiny windows in. And so here we are with this Republican leadership yeah. basically forcing kids back into school so they could have their, so, you know, Trump would be pleased or whatever the fuck, so they could have their photos of, look, everything's normal. The kids are back in school. You can go back to work now. And, and yeah. you keep lining the pockets of the rich and paying your taxes and uh, everything will be fine. No, nothing to see here, but um, it's bad. And yeah. this particular photo, it's, it's, it makes me really angry. And I don't have kids. Me neither, but I'm just, I'm up in arms because, you know, uh, well, I read this, I remember what it was like. I went to a Catholic school, right? But it seems like this school is like really functioning. Me too. Oh, look at that. We're both fucked up. Um, but they, it <laughs> we'll seems like this. guilt problems later. <laughs> yeah. Like I was reading something about, or maybe I heard it was like, an announcement over the PA that one of the students had recorded surreptitiously. And it sounded just like being back in Catholic school. They were like, the principal got on the PA and he was like, okay, now remember it's against the handbook to say anything negative or, you know, to show any pictures or photos of that paint the school in a negative light. I'm just like, this sounds not right. Like, there, mm-hmm. So you're discouraging whistleblowers and then saying that there will be consequences. So threatening these kids. And then obviously they sus- suspended whoever um, released those photos of the crowded hallways. Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't seem nobody's thinking about the end game. Like what's going to be worse? Having, you know, that one, I guess what, like one day of feeling like, hey, we're back to normal until everybody starts getting sick and then having to <laughs> shut down for even longer. I just don't understand. Like, yeah. What's the end game here? No, uh, uh, the cheap comes out more expensive, uh, yep. and and when you keep doing this, and we get case spikes, and then we have to stop, and then we keep, and and meanwhile, you know, this this results in death, and and oh, it's yeah. not like. You know, it's not like a, a fourth quarter sales chart where you're like, well, if we pull this back, our numbers will go back up and everything will be fine. If we lose mm-hmm. a little money, we lose a little money. Oh, we got to adjust here. Th- th- these are people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. They're making these adjustments with. And and it's just a huge failure on the part of our federal government yep. and these local governments that uh, are doing things to please Trump. And the enablers, too. You know, these people, th- these, mm. these people are enabling the government, you know, and I understand. I mean, my mom's a teacher I for Florida or Miami-Dade public schools. So I understand that pressure of like you also have a responsibility not just to like your students but to yourself and to whoever you live with you know the old lady next door or or the immunosuppressed person you know that lives across the street it's just 
I don't know. I, I think they're all, you know, the enablers are just as bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you complain about the fact that, you know, you have to take care of your kids and that they, you know, the, the child abuse is rampant when they stay home. You Now you're making teachers not just be teachers. They're CPS. They're mm-hmm. counselors. Right. They're contact tracers. They're frontline workers. They're school supply suppliers because mm-hmm. the schools are underfunded. Right. And and babysitters and ch- and childcare and they feed your kids. They're supposed to feed you. And now you're like, uh, I mean, I hear people like, oh yeah, but you know, a lot of kids don't have the internet. And I'm like, right. And what we need to do there is the federal government needs to provide right. funding so that they can get internet so that they can remotely learn. You don't blame the teachers in the schools for not <laughs> right. opening for right. the system being fucked up and not having any infrastructure. Shut yeah. your stupid mask. Hole. Uh, okay. <laughs> Shut that pothole. And rant. Um, next. Okay, here. This will bring us back. Another judge has dismissed another Devin Nunes lawsuit. <laughs> a federal <laughs> judge in Iowa has dismissed with prejudice a defamation lawsuit filed by uh, Nunes against Hearst Magazine Media and Ryan Lizza, a journalist and political analyst for, I think, Esquire. <laughs> the case revolved around a September 30th, 2018 article that, uh, yeah, Esquire published, Milking the System, quote unquote. <laughs> And an online version of the piece is alternatively entitled Devin Nunez's Family Farm is Hiding a Politically Explosive Secret. And among the story's claims is that a farm operated in California by various members of the Nunez family was subsequently moved to Iowa and that ultimately, like many Midwestern dairy, uh, dairies, used undocumented labor. So here we are. Uh, they published a story and the judge is like, actually, most of this is true. So the defamation suit... Uh, doesn't stick and you're just you're you know I, I guess Nunez was objecting to the feeling of the article as a oh whole instead of individual God. statements the that feeling. were made in the article so the good grief so the judge is like fuck out of here well um, at what point at what point is there going to be like an end to all of this like frivolous lawsuit business that Nunez seems to be so fond of like I don't know if there's a law against it but it just seems like this is a giant waste of time and money mm. For the people that have to then defend themselves. Yeah. Nunez will have uh, Pacer documents on his gravestone. He's going to be suing people until he dies. It's just, it's his way. Ugh. That's like just so privileged. Yeah. I know. I know. Um, But this is kind of cool. Trump campaign was penalized by Twitter and Facebook for posts containing disinformation about COVID-19. The misinformation was a clip of Trump on Fox saying kids were almost immune from COVID-19. And Twitter and Facebook, oddly, Facebook was like, no, no, you can't, you can't say that and took it down. Thanks, Mark. It's about four, five years too late. Thanks so much. (laughs) Thanks, Buckerberg. But, you know, I mean, look, I guess we can, we can be, we can be thankful for any progress forward, but this is just coming so late. I mean, the misinformation campaign against, or or, or just against COVID-19 started way before yesterday you know and you'd think that he would or any any social media platform would care about the hundreds of thousands of people that have died and the millions of people who are at risk but i guess it's just a little too much to ask Mm. yeah apparently and uh finally from politico the central intelligence agency our cia has ignored requests to brief senators as part of a republican-led investigation that targets presumptive democratic presidential nominee joe biden and his son hunter and this is according to sources familiar with the matter and an email uh, that was described to politico the spy agency the cia's resistance comes amid intelligence officials deep skepticism of the probe that ron johnson is conducting with the senate committee 
uh, and it focuses on Hunter Biden's role on the board of the Ukrainian energy company Burisma. Democrats argue the investigation is based on Russian disinformation aimed at tipping the outcome of the election towards Trump. Uh, this, of course, Ron Johnson denies, uh, even though he's one of the seven <sighs> that Jeez. spent that 4th of July over in Moscow. Mm-hmm. So the CIA won't even fucking touch Ron Johnson's investigation. So that <laughs> I think that tells you a lot. They're like, nah, bro. Uh, yeah, I yeah. know we're Trump's CIA, but yeah. we're not going to support that because we know right. we we reported, you know, on this extensively that most of the information or if not all the information Ron Johnson is receiving is, is, is drummed up by Giuliani, mm-hmm. Parnas and Fruman, Furtosh, and, uh, you know, all like, and, and their associates, these pro Russian Ukrainians. Yeah. And so that's, that's all the information he's getting. CIA is like, no, I'm not, no, we're not backing you on the Giuliani crazy train. Yeah. It's like bad fan fiction. It's like, let it go. It's, it's like, it's like a, sh- it's like a ship that like, people had from years ago and like just didn't pan out and then they're still talking about it it's like get over it <laughs> you know what i, I mean know, I know. we had a whole impeachment about it and it, nothing came up so we're good I was there. I was there yeah exactly all right well hey uh those are the headlines but you'll stick around with me for the for the good news block yeah yeah i love good news awesome awesome so do we and uh everyone stay with us we'll be right back with an in-depth interview with Andrew Torres from the Opening Arguments podcast about the Trump lawsuit attempting to block Nevada's vote-by-mail bill. So stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Caliper CBD. It is a very stressful time right now. We all have a little anxiousness. We need to practice some self-care, but who said taking care of yourself has to also be hard? Why, like, stress yourself out trying to de-stress? So that is what's great about CBD. It helps you feel better without having to make drastic changes to your routine. And personally, CBD has helped me feel more calm. I've been able to sleep easier. I feel less sore after workouts. It's great. And at first I was skeptical of CBD. I felt like droppers full of oil couldn't be the best modern science has to offer, and but Caliper agrees, and that's why they've introduced a better way to consume CBD. Unlike oils, Caliper CBD powder is completely tasteless, and it mixes easily in a food or your drink, and it has precisely 20 milligrams in each packet, so you'll never question how much CBD you're taking again. Uh, I like to put it into a post-workout smoothie, for example, to help with muscle recovery or in tea before I get some great sleep. It is clinically proven, actually, that you absorb 450% more CBD with Caliper powder uh, compared to other tinctures. And that's a huge difference. And they give you, Caliper gives you all the benefits of CBD in just 15 minutes. It's really fast acting. It's twice as fast as CBD oil. And Caliper is completely THC free with all natural non-GMO ingredients. There's no fillers. There's no added chemicals. No artificial flavors. And you can get 20% off your first order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at trycaliper.com slash dailybeans. You can try Caliper CBD risk-free for 30 days. If you don't love it, they'll give you a full refund. No questions asked. That's trycaliper.com slash dailybeans. And don't forget to enter promo code DAILYBEANS for 20% off your first order. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So this week, we've been covering the bill passed in Nevada, uh, mandating, among other things, that ballots be mailed proactively to registered voters uh, so they can vote by mail in the upcoming election due to concerns with the coronavirus. And Trump's response after that said was that he would sue Nevada while also simultaneously praising vote by mail in Florida, where Republicans happen to be pushing back against his public decrying of mail-in voting because it could hurt Republicans in Florida. And earlier in the week, 
I spoke with Steve Laddick, voicing concerns about this potential lawsuit, given the history of the administration having cases dismissed and then appealing, while also asking for injunctions and stays from the Supreme Court in an end run around the circuit court. Well, Trump has filed that lawsuit against Nevada since that conversation took place. And joining me today to discuss that lawsuit is real-life lawyer and co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast, Andrew Torres. Andrew, thanks for speaking with me today. Oh, E.G., thanks for having me back on. It's always fun. Always, yeah, fun. Okay. Um, (laughs) It's it's always educational. It's always therapeutic. Uh, It's always a lot of things. (laughs) I guess that you could say educational and therapeutic are fun to me. So you're right. Um, So you can understand my concern given the past practices of the Trump administration's abuse of the courts. So uh, I wanted to really quick go over uh, because, you know, we covered the main provision of this Nevada bill. Uh, But there were some other uh, mandates in this bill that are now being covered in this lawsuit. So can you go over those other items in this law so that we're prepared to talk about the lawsuit that Trump has filed? Sure. Um, Now, it's a 64 page bill. So, you know, we're we're going to hit kind of the highlights. I mean, I love reading 64 page pieces of legislation, but no one else does. But, you know, you and I together. so this is this is Assembly Bill Four, so AB Four, if you want to look it up, um, and it it's it's really an interesting departure, right? Like the uh, it, it establishes a new class of ballot in Nevada, which is uh, called the the mail in ballot, right? Like most states are um, working mail in voting as uh, a corollary to the way in which they implement absentee ballot, right? And so the easiest way to integrate that into an existing system is just uh, if if your state currently requires an excuse for you to fill out an absentee ballot, uh, you just amend that statute and say, okay, well, uh, either, and, and, and about two dozen states have done this, They've they've amended their statutes either to say, hey, um, COVID-19 is a perfectly valid excuse uh, or alternatively uh, to say that no excuse is required to like remove that as a requirement. This actually defines. And so that's kind of the main structure. Um, But there are lots of problems with absentee balloting that are, you know, beyond the scope of this interview. And so Nevada created an entirely new mail ballot right? Defined as a mail ballot distributed to an active registered voter in an effective election pursuant to the bill. Um, So separate from an absentee ballot. And in addition to sending out a ballot, uh, they send out a return envelope uh, that is marked with postage. It includes an extra little sleeve in which you can insert the ballot in order to keep it secret, an identification envelope that has your number. So in other words, anticipating that the primary objection of the Republican Party, right, is, uh, in you know, the party that is seeking to discourage participation and drive down the number of people who actually vote, right? Their main argument is fraud, blah, 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 blah. We know that fraud doesn't happen, statistically speaking. And this bill anticipates that objection and provides uh, additional precautions uh, as 
uh, in order in order to stave that off. And so as a result, right, this was this was a bipartisan bill in Nevada, right? This was not Nevada is not a deep blue state, as everyone knows. And um, this is the kind of thing that if you did not have a criminally insane game show host as president and you did not have him as head of a party that can only succeed by ensuring that white men vote and nobody else does. Um, this is the kind of thing that that broadly speaking, people would say, yeah, seems like a good idea during a pandemic. Yeah. So that that's the, the long and <laughs> short of it. And <laughs> and uh, and and Steve Laddick and I had discussed um, a potential lawsuit and none of us could come up with a, a reasonable argument. Uh, and Vladek said we would actually need to know because, you know, before we got into my conversation about I'm worried that even if it was dismissed, he could appeal and et cetera. And he said, well, we need to know the administration's arguments before he would need to know the administration's arguments in that lawsuit before he could, you know, comment on whether it was a viable uh, position uh, and or just, you know, to stop the vote uh, by mail in Nevada. And so can you tell us now? <laughs> Uh, now that we have the lawsuit, what are the Trump administration's arguments in this case? Yeah, uh, the, the the Trump administration filed in U.S. District Court for the District of Nevada uh, on the 4th of August, so uh, earlier this week. And um, the way in which you read the complaint is, you know, sort of you look at the caption and then you work backwards. And we learn a couple of important things um, from from both of them. So first, uh, this is brought by the, the plaintiffs are the Trump for President campaign, right? Donald J. Trump for President Inc., the Republican National Committee, and the Nevada Republican Party. Now, why is that significant? Uh, because when you turn to the very end of you know the last page, um, Trump is, as, as is usual in these cases, represented by Bill Consovoy, uh, who is rapidly ascending the ranks of um, talentless hacks that are uh, suckling at the Trump teat here. Um, he's, he's terrible as a lawyer. And the crucial thing is the fact that it's the Trump campaign that's bringing this lawsuit means that Trump is paying his personal law lawyer to make these arguments out of campaign donations. So, you know, that's how he structures all of these so that there's there's not even the slightest possibility that, you know, he's got to pay his actual lawyers. This is, um, you know, your mega hat wearing cousin who drops ten dollars in the, uh, uh, you know, in, in to, to buy like a stupid red hat or something. This is where this is going to pay Bill Consoboy. So I just thought you should know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's going to he's going to abuse the courts to delay uh, right. and then he's going to not spend his own money to do it. Right. That's exactly right. So um, that then you you look back a little bit. So after looking at the caption and the signature line, you look at the at the very end, which is uh, starting in page 16 for what the causes of action are. And here we have five causes of action. First is for a declaratory judgment that, that I'm going to speak to in a minute. And then there are four allegations uh, that the Nevada bill violates the Equal Protection Clause. We could go through each one of these individually, but I want to summarize that um, at, at kind of a high level. So when you raise an Equal Protection Clause violation, what you do is you specify the, the groups that you believe are being treated differently. 
And then, and again, this is at a high level, right? There are, there's intermediate scrutiny, which is applied in, in, in gender cases, but, but basically it, it, it breaks down like this. If you are discriminating against a protected class, right, as recognized in constitutional jurisprudence, right, you're discriminating on the basis of race, for example, um, then uh, that triggers strict scrutiny for the underlying law. And strict scrutiny means exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's a virtual certainty that the law will get overturned, right? You have to show that it is the only, uh, it is the only means available to achieve uh, a compelling governmental interest. Um, and by and large, you can't do that, right? Um, on the other hand, if it's not a protected class, then what you trigger is something that's called rational basis scrutiny, which basically says, is there a rational reason for drawing the distinction between these two classes of citizens? And if there is any rational basis, whether it's a good idea or not, uh, then the law passes. And so, right, so let me give you a, a good example of the kinds of distinctions we draw all the time, right? So unemployment compensation, for example, draws a distinction. It discriminates between people who have a job and people who don't have a job, right? And so all the people who don't have a job don't get unemployment benefits, right? And 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 they're a, a discriminated, uh, all the people that, that do have a job don't get unemployment benefits, right? And so- that makes total sense, right? You, you're, you're differentiating between two classes of people, but the reason for doing so passes a rational basis. The idea is we don't need to give extra government money to people who do have a job. We do to people who don't, right? So all of these equal protection clause violations are fall into the rational basis category, right? So it says, oh, it's going to discriminate. So count two, for example, says that it's going to discriminate against people who live in rural counties, right? Um, count three says there's not going to be uniform treatment among the different voters, right? And count four has a, another allegation on standards. It's, it, it all works within that, that system. And the important thing to recognize is two, three, four, and five all raise equal protection violations to protect a group, a class of people that do not get heightened protection under the law, right? So that all you have to show is, does this law pass rational basis? So it will. <laughs> um, we, we don't need to worry about two, three, four, and five. Those are nonsense. But, but one, on the other hand, and I, I do want to talk about the merits of that cause, um, and also how this could play out, uh, you know, in throughout the courts, uh, you know, going through all the, you know, dismissals and appeals and filings and briefings. And, and uh, but, my, you know, again, I say my, my, my biggest concern is an emergency injunction through the Supreme Court. And I do want to talk to you about that. I do need to take a quick break, though. Will you stay with me? Sure. All right. We'll be right back after this quick message. Hey friends, it's AG, and this segment of the Daily Beans podcast is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Like many people over the years, I've experienced a variety of sleep issues, particularly lately. Trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep, tossing and turning, waking up repeatedly. Uh, often I used to wake up tired and sore in the morning, and at first I thought my insomnia was caused by the stress of Trump being the president, despite the fact that he pronounces Yosemite as Yosemite, but... It turned out my problems getting restful sleep were mostly caused by my mattress. I had a garbage mattress, and everything changed with Helix. You know I've talked about it a million times. Jordan loves hers. Uh, Joelle and Mandy love theirs. 
And Helix Sleep understands that you're unique, and they customize your mattress to fit you in the way you sleep best. In fact, they created a sleep quiz that takes about two minutes, and they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Sometimes you like a soft one or a firm mattress, or you like to sleep on your side or your back or your stomach, or you sleep really hot or you sleep cold. And with Helix, there's a specific mattress for each and everyone's unique taste. Like me, I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I like my bed medium firm and I sleep on my side. Yay for me. But you don't have to take my word for it. Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 and 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazines. So just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. I promise. And they have a 10-year warranty. And you get to try it out for 100 sleeps, risk-free. And they'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. But you will love it. Uh, and Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We've been talking to co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast, Andrew Torres, about the Trump lawsuit, campaign's lawsuit against Nevada for their bill. And you were just about to say we don't have to worry about causes two, three, four, and five because they're all falling under equal protection. Uh, and this is not a protected class. None, none of these are protected classes under, under that uh, uh, concept. But... You were about to tell us <laughs> cause the first cause. If you are inclined towards the thesis that says uh, in a close election, this Supreme Court uh, as an activist right wing court will do everything in its power to hand the election to Donald Trump, um, then I'd be nervous about count one. Right. I, I think there are some counter arguments to that. I've articulated them on this show and my show. Right. The shame John Roberts thesis. Uh, but 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 look, um, we know that there are four hardcore conservative right wing activists on the Supreme Court and banking my hope on the integrity of the elections on, you know, whether John Roberts is feeling particularly, you know, like Eeyore that day. Like that's a that's a tough table to push all your chips in on, right? To to mix a couple of metaphors there. So what does count one say? Count one, um, it's written terribly, again, because Bill Consovoy is a terrible lawyer. Um, but essentially it seeks a declaratory judgment that under principally three USC one, uh, but also under a, a couple of other statutory provisions and under the, um, the, the provisions in the constitution mandating elections, electors, and the supremacy clause. Um, essentially they put all of that together and they say, look, the federal election act requires, uh, that every state have their election on the Tuesday after the first Monday in November, right? In every, every four years. That is a national mandate. And the only argument, right? So so in other words, they put that all together. 3 USC 1 means that election day has to be November 3rd, 2020. And then they put that together with uh, section 20.2 of the bill. This is the only section that 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 this entire first count uh, challenges. Um, section 20.2, um, allows the, the Nevada Secretary of State to uh, count ballots that, uh, that, that they receive uh, up to by 5 p.m. three days after election day, so by November 6th. And that's based on the finding, right, and intuition that, hey, 
if you get a ballot three days after election date, that probably means that you put the ballot in the mail on election day, right? So it's a way of saying, hey, we get it. Um, the, the post office is sometimes slow. It probably takes about three days. I would point out throughout our legal system, right, that uh, we, are, we are moving towards, uh, you know, electronic filing in cases. But like the federal rules of civil procedure allow you to tack on three days for service by mail for stuff like that, right? So, so the idea that like mail equals three days is something that has been a key function of our law for, you know, a century. And mm-hmm. the allegation, though, is, look, you can't prove I could sneak in a ballot the day after Election Day and it could arrive within this three day safe harbor. Uh, and under Section 20.2, that's going to be counted. Now, um, we could talk about that as a practical matter, right? Like you don't need a lawyer. Yeah, because aren't aren't, <laughs> aren't postmarks a thing? Yeah. Like, isn't it, you know there are states that do entirely vote by mail for decades and, and it's based on when it's postmarked. Yeah. And, but this, but this provides a, a safe haven so that you don't have to differentiate on postmarks of postmarks that are say, you know, later than a particular point in time, right? Like, so for example, if you said we're going to exclude everything that's postmarked after 9 PM on November 3rd, right. Then you've got to have somebody overseeing all of these ballots and going, oh, this one says November 3rd, 8.54 p.m. That's good. This one says November 3rd, 9.54 p.m. That's bad. An eight looks a lot like a nine when you're talking about just, you know, a government clerk sorting through what will be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of ballots. So, you know, you might want to just say, look, everything that winds up on our desk by X point in time, we're going to count. And that makes total yeah. sense, right? Um, but not in, in a normal world, right, but yeah. not if you're a nitwit, right? And so if, if, if you, if you are, then you think, and, and, and again, follow me on this, right? You have to think that there were a category of voters who want to wait until after the election, right? And after presumably Trump wins, and then uh, assuming Trump wins Nevada, say, ah, but now we can, and, and wins by four electoral votes or less, ah, we can erase that result in Nevada by voting the day after the election and in, and hoping that it gets there in the next two days, and then it will get counted, and then we'll overwhelm all the Trump votes, and then we'll undo the election. Now, that's the stupidest thing I could possibly imagine, because if you're that motivated, just get out and vote on election, right? Like, just drop it in the mail. Vote in the first right. place. Exactly. Right. Like, like the idea that you would wait and then roll the dot, like, it is nonsense. It's crazy pants. But that's their <laughs> argument. And the thing that should concern you is, is the following. <laughs> um, it is not common in a complaint to cite law, right? And the reason for that is because your complaint is, the the way in which we test the sufficiency of a civil complaint is you assume that the facts that are alleged are true, uh, and then you say, does this assert a cause of action under the operative legal standards, right? So you don't typically cite law in your complaint because that doesn't matter, right? Um, This complaint, in section one, cites law 
And if you were to just take a wild guess out of the hundreds of thousands of cases that have been decided in our federal system uh, over our nation's, you know, two plus centuries of history, uh, I'm going to give you one guess at what what case you think is cited in in uh, count number one. Oh, You're going to nail this in one. Trust me. Just think about it. Hint. It's a case that has that that is virtually never cited in any other legal pleadings. Oh, good lord! And this is in defense. In of... defense of this, okay, I'll 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 spoil it for you. It's Bush v. Gore. Um, oh, hmm. yeah. And so, what a shock. if you don't think that that is a giant, uh, you know, inside signal of. We got the we want to run the Bush v. Gore playbook again, right? Like, let me take a few seconds to to talk about this. I have, in fact, this was the inspiration for the first four episodes of Opening Arguments, right? Like, we went through Bush v. Gore in excruciating, well, in Andrew level detail. I should I should say, um, it Bush v. Gore is one. It is a per curiam opinion, right? It is unsigned. We know who's on it because everybody who did not sign filed dissents. Um, it creates a, a cause of action for a safe harbor provision, um, which is just a bonkers reading of, of the federal election law. Um, and the language of the opinion itself essentially confines, says, you know, it's not like this court, this case is going to have any precedential value, right? We are confined to the unique facts of this because they knew, right? The the five conservative justices who voted to install George W. Bush as president knew they were just making up the law. Uh, mm. And so they essentially warned future courts like, hey, man, like, don't you know and, and and warned lawyers like don't don't cite this case right like we're we're just yeah, we're just yeah. making this up because we want our guy to win uh but you know there's no law here there's no real actual legal principle um and so as a result like you you know as a lawyer like you don't cite bush v gore like it's it's sui generis right like it it was entirely made up on the spot to you know give a veneer of justification for stopping the recounts in florida um. A hundred percent. So yep. when you asked me to guess which one it was, <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, it can't be that. Um, that that's the one where the judges said, don't don't listen to us. Yep. Uh, but um, that's the one that they did. Yep. And I have a hypothetical for you. I have a hypothetical <laughs> for you here. Mm -hmm. This whole thing seems to uh, uh, the linchpin here seems to be 20.2. Yeah. And the, the three day grace period, if you will. Yep. And so my question is. You know, Trump sues, appeals, blah, blah, blah. If he get, if he manages to get an injunction to prevent this law from going into effect while the courts decide the merits of this case, can Nevada simply rescind Section 20.2, mooting the only argument they have, and then ask for a, a, a dismissal so that they can move forward with the law? Is that a potential... Um, a defense here? Yeah, not not only that, but the court is likely to anticipate that, right? So in other words, when you pass a law, 
um, a standard boilerplate provision that is in AB4 says if any part of this law is, uh, you know, held unconstitutional or of no effect, that is, you know, deemed severable from the rest of the law. So a a court is very, very likely what what I would do if I were the, the district court passing upon this is I would issue that <laughs> this is this is the way if you're really thinking about it uh, as a long-term political strategy is I would give the Trump campaign the injunction on section 20.2 but sever it from the rest of the law right say of course yeah, like like the mandate for uh, the Affordable Care Act and sever it from the rest of the Obamacare sever it from the rest of the entire law exactly right because what they really want to stop is mailing out ballots with postage prepaid envelopes. But they can't argue that that violates the Elections mm-hmm. Act because uh, you, you can't even plausibly, right? So, yeah, <laughs> so enjoying this right now, that it is of no negative consequence whatsoever because that injunction only applies to counting the ballots, right? And mm. you would allow them to litigate over that. You'd be like, okay, look, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to enjoin Section 20.2. Uh, we're going to expedite a hearing on the merits. You can litigate 20.2 uh, and it will sort of throw the ball back into Nevada's court of, hey, do you want to keep this three day safe harbor provision or do you want to go with a more confusing, you know, let's look at the actual uh, 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 you know, postmark. postmark on the on the on the bill on the uh, on your on the ballot? Um give them the choice. Right. And, and who knows there in that case, I, I do want to add, um, the, the other, the other, just in the interests of steel manning the the, the Trump administration, because I haven't done a great job of that so far. Um, there is one case that they also cite in this section that that's worth spending 30 seconds talking about. It's a 1997 case called foster versus love. Um, that, you are likely to hear about when the Trump administration goes to argue this TRO. And that involved Louisiana's open primary system, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. and so in 20% of cases, there were runoff elections, right? And the Supreme Court essentially said, look, election day is election day. You've got to have uh, a... an election for federal office on election day and your open primary system is likely to have that election not be on election day because you're not going to get to the required, you know, in 20% of cases you don't get above 50%. Um, And so invalidated that scheme on the basis of three USC one. So that's the argument you're going to hear from Trump land. Again, two responses back to that, right? Like, that that's a very, very different scenario than counting mail ballots. And most importantly, even if they're right, that only applies to Section 20.2. Um, but again, I, I just want to flag that because you're going to start hearing, um, you know, from this case from Tucker Carlson, right, who, you know. Yeah, well, we've already sort of started hearing this. And, and you know, Trump's already started paving the way for this by saying, Elections should be decided the night of the election. We shouldn't have to wait a week. Uh, blah blah blah. Um, I, and so he's been paving the he's been paving the way for that argument. Um, and I think that that's what's you know kind of the basis for this. Yeah, and 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 let's tackle that head on, right? Like the only way 
in which that argument should resonate with you in the slightest is if you have been repeatedly hit about the head with a blunt object and thus have amnesia dating back to 1996, right? Because in virtually every election since then, we have not known who the winner is on election night, right? It, 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 yeah, okay, Obama in, in 2008 and, and 2012, because those were landslides, but every other election, right? Trump 2016, we did not know until three in the morning, right? John Kerry in 2004, I don't know, folks remember, like Ohio was keyed in green and Kerry didn't concede until Wednesday. 2000 was obviously 2000. So like that, <laughs> that argument is, again, just requires you to have such an, 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 an ungrounded view of our recent history, right? Like, it's not a magic. We know who the winner is on election night anymore. Um, and uh, and it hasn't been that way for two decades. Yeah. And I suspect if it weren't for widespread uh, coronavirus pandemic in this country uh, due to the mismanagement of, of that <laughs> crisis, we, we would we I think we would know on election night. Um this year. But, uh, you know, neither here nor there, and it's not something that's required uh, by law anywhere. So one last question here before I let you go. Uh, in defense, well, you know, first of all, I mean, it, I want to ask you what the likelihood of him getting an injunction and stopping this law from going into effect while the merits of this case are discussed. Uh, and then secondly, how does Trump's tweet praising mail-in voting in Florida <laughs> make make his argument harder? Because I'm, I'm wondering, does does Florida have a, a three-day grace period, a, a safe harbor rule, or or will will Trump be able to say, we're fine with Florida because Florida says this? And I'm, I'm not really familiar. Does Florida say you have to have, we only count the ballots that we get on election day and then everything else we throw away? Or, you know, I don't know what he, his possible argument could be there, but I think he he constantly just spouts off at the mouth and makes shit difficult for himself. And this, I think, might be a, one of those instances. Yeah. So fantastic question. And we have developed a, a jurisprudence of Trump's tweets, right? Like courts have had to construe to what extent uh, the, the fact that our president, you know, tweets from the toilet at three in the morning uh, counts as a judicial admission and or official administration policy. This is the world we live in, people. Um, and and in, in many cases, um, the fact that Trump has tweeted uh, has been cited as a fact of which the court can take judicial notice. Um, all of that is to say, I, I have no doubt uh, that that argument will be raised uh, at uh, at the TRO hearing. And again, uh, assuming that uh, the, the state of Nevada is competent in arguing this case, and I have every reason to believe that they would be like it, it puts it puts Trump uh, into a double bind, right? Because as you suggested, the only material difference between Nevada and Florida on this issue, right, is Florida law requires that your ballot be either dropped off in person or received in the mail by election day. Okay. So instead of having the safe harbor provision, 
they err on the other side, right? They say, we've got to get your ballot by by election day for it to count. Well, that's why he likes it, because right. he's purposefully trying to slow down the post office. And, and as we know, in several key swing states where they're required to receive their ballots by election night, we missed 65,000 legal votes. Yep, yep. And, and look, uh, this is this is what I am constantly saying, right? When when you and I had our uh, uh, our, our our Twitter minor disagreement, um, the, the 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 Trump administration and the Republican Party, they will do. We are in a hundred percent agreement that their core strategy is to discourage turnout, to suppress legal voting, to disqualify as many votes as possible. We know that that is part of a three-decade plan by the Republican Party that we have seen documented in the Hofeller docs, right? Like the Republican Party knows that they are a party of white men and that they're no longer the majority and they are headed towards irrelevance unless they can restrict the electorate. So yeah, Republicans want to make it harder for people to vote and they want to disqualify more votes uh, just as a top line rule. We know that's going to happen. So yes, that that is going to happen. But here's the advantage in litigating the Nevada issue. If you get the president's legal team on the record to say, yeah, the only problem is the safe harbor provision, then you steer the court in the direction that we just talked about in the last, right? And and again, mm-hmm. remember, part of their game is to get the whole law thrown out so that voters aren't mailed ballots with a self-addressed stamped envelope and the little sleeve and everything else, right? If we get that, um, that that that's a huge victory in Nevada. It, it, it makes it part of you know, it, it takes away. There are very few states in which Trump is going to be able to play offense this year. Right. Mm. Minnesota is one of them. Nevada is one of them. Um, but 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 by and large. Right. Like Trump has, has got to be writing off Pennsylvania already. Um, reports are that he's writing off Michigan. Uh, and so at that point, if you take Hillary Clinton's numbers uh, and, and then uh, what you have to do is either beat him in Wisconsin or beat him in some other state, and without offense on the board, uh, and you know, trying to trying to swing Nevada as, as part of that offense on the board, um, mm. it, it 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 diminishes Trump's path to reelection. So. Yeah. Well, no one ever accused Kosovoy of being a, a smart person. So, <laughs> um, But thank you so much for going over this with us today. We are going to keep an eye on this. You'll come back and talk to us when uh, when the injunction, the, the, the um, motion for an injunction is filed, right? Yep, of course. Because <laughs> you know it's going to be. <laughs> I, I, it, it, I think, I mean, if you ask me to predict, I think he's going to lose at the district court level, and then we're going to see... Uh, as you suggested, uh, expedited requ- requests to stay the effect of that judgment uh, all the way yeah, up to he'll, the Supreme he'll, Court. Yep. He'll, appeal, he'll appeal to the Circuit Court of Appeals, and he'll ask for a stay from the Circuit Court of Appeals, and he'll ask for an emergency injunction from the Supreme Court of the yep. United States. That's what I think is going to happen. And, and, and he may bypass... Uh, you know, he may he may petition for emergency bypass all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, he's done that more than any other president in history. Um, that's mm-hmm. and they give it to him more than any other president in history. More than any other president in history. That is right. So, um, so there you go. Uh, well, thank you, thank you, and uh, everybody. Make sure to check out Opening Arguments podcast. You will not regret it. I promise. Uh, Real life lawyer, co-host, Opening Arguments, friend of mine, Andrew Torres. Thanks again. 
Thank you so much. Everybody, we'll be right back with the good news. Don't go away. Hello, Daily Beans listeners. It's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. These days, so many of us are focusing on our health and safety. It's important to eat healthy to keep our immune systems up and to use safer practices to help protect those around us. And if you want to eat delicious, nutritious meals, but also keep socially distant and avoid the crowds at the grocery stores, uh, I recommend trying Sunbasket. Sunbasket delivers healthy, delicious meals right to your door. It's a perfect and tasty solution for COVID times. Sunbasket has amazing recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, that's me, ding, 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 gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. And they make it easy and convenient. Everything is pre-portioned, ready to prep and cook. You can enjoy a dinner full of organic produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes, no matter how much you suck in the kitchen. And I suck bad, so I burn jello. So this is perfect. All the meals come out delicious for me in just 15 minutes. And each week they offer a wide range of recipes. So you can try spicy chipotle turkey, sweet potato chili with cabbage slaw, or butter chicken with basmati rice pilaf, my new favorite, or a pepper dal with wilted spinach, sweet peas, and fresh ricotta. It's really, really delicious. And you can order from any recipes across their menu. You can skip a week or snooze if you need to, or you can double up on your favorites. And Sunbasket facilities have the highest level of food and employee safety. That's very important to us. They reinforce their strict adherence to operating procedures, and they've increased sanitization frequencies in their distribution centers to protect you, your family, and their family of employees. And right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go to sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash dailybeans. Don't forget to enter promo code dailybeans at checkout for $35 off your order. One last time, sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. And joining me today for the good news, welcome back, Amy Carrero. Good news! It's time for the good news. <laughs> Finally! After how many months of yeah. no, well, just kidding. I mean, you guys, you girls do good news, and I, I never get to stick around for the good news, so I'm very happy that I get to. I'm excited you're here. I'm excited you're here. Normally, we read the good news with Jordan. Jordan's taking the day off, doing a little self-care, and yeah. so uh, thank you so much for filling in for her. I absolutely love this, and... Um, and here's how good news works. I'll read one and then you read one. And we say who it's from. And then if they want to include their pronouns, we say what their pronouns are. Okay. And and we read their good news stories. And then we have a really great time. And then at the end of it, everyone feels better about life. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Do I start? Can I start with this? Because I want to say the one fun thing in the middle with this one. Yeah, go for it. Okay, ready? All right, this is from Anonymous, and she prefers she, her pronouns. Hey, beans queens. I'm not sure if this is right, but for a fucking hooray, I just bought a car by myself with no cosigner. It's not huge Ow. news. I know, right? She says it's not huge news, but I think so. Um, but for me, and I I, so it is, and I'm very proud, and I did all the legwork, and now I got my shiny, almost new red Hyundai Veloster 2019. This is my first independent mm. car. Uh, oh, she's my first car independent from my family, and I call it the Velociraptor. <laughs> That's my favorite. And she says that she apologizes <laughs> and thanks her long-term partner, Scott, who ended up on the snappy end of my stress, and I ended up shouting at him a little bit. That's okay. He was trying to help, and I'm really appreciative of his help. Hi, Scott. Thank you for the podcast <laughs> and reminder that I'm not so crazy, even when there is a Cheeto in the White House. Have a fab day. <laughs> the Veloster. I know. That's my favorite. 
Did I do that right? You did. You did it perfectly. My very yes. fave. Yes. Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, and Scott, hi. Nice job. Hi, and, Scott. And, uh, way to be there. This is part and parcel. I mean, it's it's really it's really like super stressful buying a car. Oh yeah, and the, it it can be like depends on the dealership, but like they can be really. Oh yeah, pressury and gross, so aggressive, and yeah. skeevy, you know. And For so sure. I'm super, super. This is super great. And Hyundai's come with great warranties, especially the used certifieds. And so, very true. Good choice. I actually heard that Hyundai they have hard time with Hyundai's because people keep them for so long because they like them so much. <laughs> exactly. There's not a lot of. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so people don't one car them. and then they yeah. have it for 15 years. Exactly. Then, yeah. Exactly. So, okay. But that's a good business model. All right. So next up we have uh, from anonymous pronoun she, her, since I've been working from home this summer and I expect to continue in the fall, my work schedule is fairly flexible as to when and how long I take breaks with this flexibility. I've volunteered to do phone banking for my local democratic campaign organization, two hours a week calling between 60 and 80 people in Pennsylvania. It's easy to do with my cell phone. I just log on through the computer and call the people that show up on my screen and record who answers and speaks with me. We give information about Biden, like his Build Back Better plan, and then we ask who they plan to vote for in the election. We also tell them who Democratic candidates, who the Democratic candidates for their state legislature races. We don't ask for money. We just give them information and take a poll. Naturally, the majority of people don't answer the phone, but I usually talk to about 8 to 14 people during my shift. We call all parties. While nearly all the registered Democrats say they're voting for Biden, I'm always heartened by the number of Republicans or others, quote unquote, who say they will also vote for Biden. Of course, some Republicans won't say who they're voting for, <laughs> which I intuit to mean they're probably voting for Trump, but they're too embarrassed to say. Hopefully, the little blurbs I give on Biden will change their mind. I, I per- like time out here for a second. I personally would be like, if you're ashamed to tell me, maybe that's not the right choice. Okay. Right. <laughs> I have had the rare Democrats say they won't vote or are waiting to hear about the VP selection. And again, I give my information. I give them information and try to tell them how important it is to vote for Biden. Makes me feel good to do uh, to give what time I have to try to get more people to vote for Biden since this election is so important. I also signed up to write postcards to people, which will hopefully reach those that don't like to answer their phones to strangers. (laughs) Thank you for your podcast. It provides me with some of the best concise information out there. And I will always recommend it to my friends. Keep up the good work. Wow, that is really great. That's awesome. I love that you're taking breaks and on your break time, you're you're phone banking for Biden. That's I know. awesome. I mean, I don't want to tell her this, but it's not really a break if you're working. But good for you. I mean, like, what a service. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Love. Uh, uh. All right. What do we got next? Okay. Next, we got Kat. Her pronouns are she, her. Uh, okay, so this one's funny. I went in to get, oh, sorry, I went in today to get the baby no-no stick taken out of my arm and a new one put in. Good news. The nurse practitioner was able to fish that puppy out about five minutes prior to them giving up and sending me to the hospital, OR, uh, the hospital OR for removal. 30 minutes of struggle, the lidocaine held strong, didn't feel a thing. And five seconds to shove a new one up there. Fingers crossed, no babies. <laughs> And another uh, 2.5 to 3 years sans period. That sounds very nice. Highly recommend it. Set mm. it and forget it. 
Then she's got another piece of good news. She says, in bigger news, our work union is, well, it fucking sucks. To put it simply, we're under 50% membership, goop, and the people in charge are lazy mm. AF. Our union meeting turnout is just sad. There's a guy working his way up the ladder to flip the leadership, and I've been waiting patiently to be put into action. Until then, I've decided to sign up for the paralegal associate's degree. Goddamn. Wait, does that mean Goodman or goddamn? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, goddamn. Okay. Okay, god damn. Uh, we need better people on our side who are qualified to write and edit contracts. So true. I only need 11 mm. classes to complete the degree, and it's entirely online. Bonus. Okay, and then she gives us another good piece of news. Like, I can't even believe it. I just learned yesterday that the president of the union is stepping down, putting our flipper Ow. at the head of the union until elections later this year. Booyah. Hopefully, some much-needed change is coming, and I find myself soon seated at the table of barg of the bargaining committee, and in a space to create real, needed, and lasting change. So, sugar daddy, if you're out there and if you're listening, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm punching my ticket on the MSW Legal Degree Express, and then she writes a winky face. <laughs> I love having a voiceover actress read. Uh, <laughs> read these because you get the booyah and smiley face and it's just absolutely a little, wonderful a little winky face and she seems like what is that um oh god now i can't remember the name of the movie with sally field or she's like a union rep norma ray norma ray yeah and if you watch it you're going to be very very mad so it's <laughs> don't a, watch norma it's ray. not a it's not a it's uplifting at the end but it's a it's a, a it's a true story let's just put it that way yes Based on real events, um, it's not actress and is it's actor. Everyone's an actor now, right? I don't. I mean, I don't really mind. I guess people say actor to be gender. I guess actor is supposed to be gender neutral now. I don't know. I'll mm -hmm, take anything, mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah. If anyone considers me an actor, I'm like, I'll take it. I got called it. I got called a comedian for a really long time, and oh, it, it didn't right. bother me. And then someone told me it should bother me, and so I'm like, all right. I guess so. Okay. okay. Don't fucking but, call you know, me that. You know, I I worry about it. I worry about it for other people, not me. I so I just wanted to make I'm sure. I'm all good. Um, all right. Next up from Jen. Well, also maybe some actresses or actors are listening that don't like to be called actress. And so I'm, I'm actually going to work hard to change that if that's not how you want to be referred to. You just let me know and I will make changes. Um, from Jen. Uh, pronouns she, her. Hi, Beans ladies. I apologize for being late to the game. I joined as a patron a few days ago and I love your podcast. It is kind of good news, or maybe just so weird it's funny, or maybe just so surreal that it's X-Files worthy. Yeah, my favorite show. Then she sets the tone, ready? It feels, yeah, this feels like a this script. Good. The year is 1992. I dropped out of school to dance professionally. After a few years of traveling around the country as a, uh, a Ronin ballet dancer, I landed a 40-week contract as an apprentice at the Atlanta Ballet. That spring, I was tired and felt like my brain had atrophied. I realized if I didn't get back to get my degree, then it might never happen. So I contacted my advisor, and they arranged for me to return to school in the fall. That June, a friend of mine from college, newly professional actor, invited me to the set of his summer gig in Atlanta's Six Flags, where he played the Joker in mm. a pyrotechnic version of Batman. <laughs> this, mind you, is not quite deep summer in Georgia, where the average temperature is a million zillion degrees. It swings into the upper 90s by late morning. And I think that the only reason uh, nothing caught on fire was the nearly 100% right. humidity. <laughs> so... I got to hang out for free all day, eat snacks, sweat, and be amused by Foster, the sweetest guy in the world, who got to play one of the most fun evil dudes in superhero lore and to watch the show, which was really a series of repeated explosions. 
Somewhere in the middle of the day, I felt kind of heat strokey and asked to use the restroom. This wasn't as simple as you might think. A pyro set is a very controlled place. Anyone needing to enter or exit needed to check in and out. And since I was a guest, I needed someone to accompany me. So I needed Foster to walk me anywhere I needed to go, which was fine. And he needed a break anyway. Walked me to the restroom. Told me he'd wait for me outside. I went in and entered a stall. In the stall next to me, I heard a woman's worried voice. (gasps) Reality, where are you? Then there was a moment of loaded silence. My mind raced, trying to come to terms with the existential questioning in the Six Flags ladies' room, where an unseen woman sitting on a toilet on the other side of the stall seemed to be taking a dive into something deep, worrisome, and important. Just as I was trying to wrap my brain around the surreal weirdness that just happened, I heard a tiny voice answer, I'm here, Mommy. Oh, my God. (laughs) What the heck? She named her kid Reality. I realized that I could just barely see a tiny, blonde-headed toddler wandering around through the crack between the stall and the door frame. (laughs) They had left. By the time I emerged, I immediately asked Foster to describe the woman and her daughter who left the restroom before me. Said he hadn't noticed anyone come out, which was doubly weird. For the next few years, this story was one that we repeatedly shared with uh, each other and to anyone who would listen. And it only got weirder in 2017 when Reality Winner became a whistleblower. (gasps) What is the likelihood that in 1992, there was more than one little girl with the name Reality in Atlanta, Georgia? Anyway, if this quiet little girl was the surreally ex- existential name is the same person as the woman who has become the whistleblowing hero, I feel doubly honored to have witnessed that unbelievably surreal and decept- uh, deceptively banal moment. Thanks so much for all you do. I'm so excited to join the Mary Trump Book Club. Best regards, Jen. Oh Whoa! Maybe that, <laughs> that was reality winner. Oh, That is... That's amazing. <laughs> What Holy a great story. Shit. Good setup, too. Really good setup. Reality, is that you? Reality, <laughs> is that you when you're sweating your balls off in, like, Atlanta? Oh, my gosh. I love that. I sure do. Um, All right. Should we go on to the next one? Yes, please. From Molly, pronouns he, him. Good news. Good hello, you great and glorious gals. Thank you so much for what you do. Even though I'm not living in the U.S., I do follow your daily news because shit rolled downhill and we live in the valleys. Uh, you all help me keep. You all help me keep somewhat sane. Ag's succinct summaries of the day's hot notes helps me to understand what's actually happening and why. Jordan's effervescent voice and bubbly laughter renews my faith in humanity daily. The recent pod dog edition has me melting. Good girl, Coco's a gorgeous girl. Huge congrats to Mandy on her new job. Now I've got to find some time to listen to yet another podcast. Oh, woe is me, winky face. <laughs> I noticed uh, he didn't uh, include uh, me in that, but that's um, that's perfectly fine. And uh, <laughs> and woe are you too. That's a huge gap to fill unless she was so utterly awesome that she automated all of her work, which wouldn't surprise me. So on to the good news. My sister fled her home and boyfriend of five years back in January after discovering him cheating. She came to me for sanctuary, which I was only too happy to provide and thankful that I could. After that escape, there followed a month of truly shitty shite as she disentangled her life from his. It turns out, surprise, surprise, that she was financially carrying his freeloader bum ass and needed to cast off that yoke. That took some time and effort, but she got free. Then COVID hit. Her company dumped her immediately along with every other independent contractor on their payroll. But did she let that get her down? She immediately started job searching, networking, etc., challenging her energies into improving her lot. And five months of hard work 
hard hunting later, she was she has landed a new job for herself. Actually, one pay grade above what she'd been doing before, which is amazing. But she didn't stop there. Woo-hoo. No. Before no. the ink dried on her contract, she sought and found a flat, a flat for herself a lot nearer to the new job. So I've just spent the past weekend helping her move into her own safe space. I'm so proud of her. My heart could burst. I'm going to feel quite a a bit lonelier without her, but that's a selfish complaint, especially considering modern telecoms. So my good news is that whilst cocooning, some women can still break free from pricks and forge forth on their own way thanks again for all that you ladies do we do need you i hope you have an awesome vacation and get to properly relax and recharge your headspaces for the final few frustrating weeks of this shit show and congrats again to mandy on her new job love all trust some and harm none molly that's great Mm, that's wonderful wonderful news yes and you're so right I can attest. Um, Next, from Sarah, pronouns she, her. Good morning, powerful ladies. I live in a beautiful and increasingly progressive Colorado where we have enjoyed the benefits of universal mail-in voting since 2014. The fact that Senator Gardner has remained silent while the president spews lies about the integrity of mail-in voting infuriates me. I have worked in a few elections myself, and I'm always curious about what happens behind the scenes, and I can assure everyone that such elections can absolutely be administered. Uh, with accuracy and, yes, integrity. We've done it every year and since 2014, the year Senator Gardner won the privilege of representing us in Washington, D.C. Today I use ResistBot, a tool for social media activism, to write my senators publicly, exhorting them uh, to proudly defend Colorado's success with mail-in voting. I also opted to make my letter a petition in hopes of inspiring others to contact their representatives on the subject. However, I'm a super introvert, and my social media skills, uh, social media impact slinks uh, by, slinks by on little (laughs) cat feet. (laughs) If you are so inclined, please share this good news with your listeners. Mail-in voting works, and Colorado has proven it beyond any doubt. Text sign, S-I-G-N-X-X-Z-E-B-E to 50409, or send sign, S-I-G-N-X-X-Z-E-B-E, to at ResistBot on Twitter to keep up the pressure on Senator Gardner. Very cool. That's good news. Good news and an action item. Yes, we have. A, we get a lot of good action stuff. We like to put an action you want at the end. Love it. And um, give people something to do if you know they're feeling a little helpless or sometimes just the smallest actions really, really kind of fill us with sort of you know absolutely beans and vinegar. Yep. To get us going. So excellent job, everyone. Again, that's. Text sign S I G N X X Z E B E. That's Z like uh, in zebra. X ray, X ray. Yeah, X ray, yeah. X ray, zebra, echo, bravo, echo. Um, thank you, Navy. That comes in handy. All right. <laughs> that is it. Do you have any final thoughts for everybody? Well, that's a de- that was a delight. Yeah. I mean, my final thoughts are have a great weekend. Try to unplug if if you can. You know, the 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 shit storm will still be here on Monday. Yeah, the, the, the fire hose of shit will be here Monday when you get back. Make sure to step on it like AG taught us. <laughs> Dress appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again so much, Amy, for joining us. We'll see you next Friday. Hopefully you'll pop on to another one of our happy hours. We'll see everybody later on the happy hour. And until then, everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. I've been Amy Carrero. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. 
Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.